Hey, I'm Sam. And I'm Chris. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Sam, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Um, Sam is good. All right. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yes, I'm Chris, and I have nothing to plug that I could think of now. Maybe I'll throw it in somewhere. Yeah, yeah. If you think of something like after Topic 3, maybe you could talk about like some fried rice you had. All right. Are we ready to start on some topics? Sure. Sam, your topic is we can't even describe space-time because of our faulty perception of time and how it relates to optical illusions. So, Chris has been very into talking about space-time and we're constantly struggling to communicate because how do you say all of time exists at all times? <laughs> we perceive it so linearly that we don't even have a language to describe these things. You know, so we spend like 10 minutes discussing fun stuff and then like two hours discussing how we really don't have words to describe what we really want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we don't really like the, the concept of like time is all encompassing. It, it encompasses everything. It encompasses itself so completely that you can't, it's really not possible to talk about something happening before or after time. Right. Yeah, it's hard. Our brains just have a hard time with that. You know, we evolved without any need to understand any part of it, we don't operate on that level. So I wonder if it's possible for we, we kind of we exist so completely within the the three spatial dimensions and the one temporal dimension and the temporal dimension that we, that we perceive as moving completely linearly. All life that we're aware of also operates under those constraints. And I wonder if it's possible for it not to. One one of the ways that I think about time purely intellectually because i i also spoilers perceive it happening forward linearly but i think it's just as valid to consider the the four dimensions of space time as we know it as just a a, a solid chunk that just is and if you existed outside of that chunk you could Maybe the way we would perceive it is like you could scrub through the timeline like you would a, like a DVD, like a, a movie. Right. And that one scene that you remember really fondly, it's, that's still back there. That's, that's always going to, it's always been part of the timeline and it always will be. Although, again, we're talking, the word always doesn't really make sense here. Right. And the ones in the future as well. Yeah. Yes. What I find interesting is thinking about well, what is determining the fact that I can only see this slice of it right now? There's got to be something that determines for what reason uh, is this slice visible to me? And why do I perceive them as progressing one after the other? I don't know. Yeah, like my, my sense of it is that you would have to ask a physicist in the distant future when humans actually understand this stuff towards the right on the timeline. If you scrub far enough ahead... Human physicists, oh, we, you've reached the part of the movie where human physicists understand what's happening. What I find interesting is every time I'm learning about something about time, it's always connected with space. There's the time space and there's really not much of a separation. Like I can't imagine that there's any definition of time outside of space and there's no definition of space outside of time. I, I don't think it can be divided, the two. Yeah. So um, I'm thinking of it in terms of you think about like a canvas or if you think you can go back to the movie analogy, like a still frame of the movie in my mind would be space without time. But just the scrub bar itself with nothing to scrub is meaningless. So I think maybe the difference is that we only have one time axis and there's nothing to graph on it if there's no space. But like my sense of it is that there can be a space. Effectively, we would see it as being frozen in frozen in an in, as an instant in time, uh, like a sculpture without motion, and that would just be space without time. I'm I'm trying to picture that. Michael, the most famous space without time is Michelangelo's David. I don't know how that space without time was that. Was that funny? I thought that was funny. <laughs> I don't get <laughs> probably. Because I'm laughing, but I don't know why. Um, so <laughs> I, I was—I just mean it's a sculpture. And oh, oh, I see. I was going to say optical illusion part. I'm going to hand off to Chris. Yeah, what thing? Reason I added that in the end is 
basically our limited perception of these things. Why it's so difficult to talk about and hear some non-experts are just, you know, fuddling around with words and concepts. I think our brains evolved in such a way, you know, through natural selection that the traits that we kept and the abilities that we kept kind of all had to do with, you know, our ability to survive. And understanding that really just didn't play any part in it. What, so it's relating to an optical illusion. There's one optical illusion I really love. It's like a little piece of a chessboard and white and black squares. Some one of the white squares is in the shadow of a cylinder. And one of the black squares is in the bright part of the right. uh, lit board. And they show two squares with an A and a B on it. And they're the exact same shade of gray. But we just, even if we know this, looking at it, it just one looks brighter than the other because of what it's contrasting against, what it's next to. Yeah. The reason why I feel this relates is because that optical illusion shows us, it's so strong because it shows us that we never needed an ability to judge absolute brightness. It's yep. always comparative. Yeah. Um, so contrast was important. We really didn't need that ability. It's fascinating mm -hmm. to me. And that's the same thing with space time. We don't need the ability to understand it. So our brains never needed to develop in any way to understand it. Yeah. Well, my, my question is, is it possible for an organism like us or any other on the planet to develop a, a greater perception of it? Like, have you seen uh, Arrival or read the short story? No. Oh, in that case, I don't want to spoil Arrival for you. Oh, I've seen the movie. Oh, okay. All right. I did not read the book. I've seen the movie. Spoilers for the audience for Arrival, although like the fact that it's happening in this discussion, I guess you're already spoiled. I'm sorry. <laughs> the denouement of that movie is that the, the human who is studying the alien language, in the process of coming to understand the language, learns to see time as a whole in the way I was describing, like it was a all at once. And my intuition is that that's not something humans could ever do. Like, that's a really cool sci-fi idea, but I don't think it's anything that's really possible. And I don't think it's maybe necessarily even possible for any organism that exists under our constraints. So I'm not sure that it was just that we we didn't happen to evolve the ability to perceive this I, it might not have been possible for us to when you say our constraints uh do you mean things that we can perceive yeah that's the that's the real question and we can't talk about that either because right because <laughs> maybe there is a fourth dimensional being that we just cannot perceive that can yeah. see time yeah. as is just fine uh-huh and this, you know, this brings up Flatland. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it actually, yeah, you're right. It may be possible that like early on in our evolution, like at some point, like maybe even pre-cellular cellular life, like we just cut ourselves off somehow from additional dimensions. How sad. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty content. Maybe we misbehaved and our memories were erased and we were... Uh imprisoned in the only three dimensions oh yeah that's right yeah well it's not a very good punishment because like i'm not even aware that it's happening no but we're left with all these questions and it drives us crazy oh it's a philosophical the punishment <laughs> is wondering all the time yeah we were given enough brains to get to get frustrated i don't know that's it's kind of fun does it bother <laughs> you to not know does that does that does that gnaw at you i and what bothers me is that, you know, I, I'm never going to know. I'm pretty confident I'm going to, oh, yeah. to die without learning answers to a lot of interesting questions. What are you going to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's, yeah. I mean, that is, uh, that is the real bummer of death, right? It's the end of human experience. Yep. I'm totally cool not knowing. It's like, eh. I mean, okay. But then there's, like, you can't have any more pizza when you die. No one told me that. <laughs> that has not been disclosed. So you're kind of full of spoilers here, ruining a movie and then, wait, this is a bummer. There's no pizza. Yeah, now I'm bummed. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, we don't know. Like, it, it much much in the same way um, as we, our understanding of time is limited, our understanding of our own existence is limited to our own consciousness existing. Like, your perception of, of anything terminates at that, at that point. 
And so you won't be bothered by the lack of pizza. You can only be sad about it before it happens, which is really dumb. That, that is very funny. And I, I very much agree. And I also want to say, okay, fine, I'll give you no pizza, but there must be Ethiopian food in this place where I will not exist and I will not be aware of whether there is Ethiopian food or not. Just for you. We'll fill your coffin with Ethiopian food. Uh, the other thing about optical illusions that you were saying is that it's really interesting to me that that chessboard illusion and most optical illusions, in fact, keep working on you even when you know what's happening. You can't think your way out of them. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And it's really, that that bothers me. That's like, I, I know what's going on here. I should be able to like not see this. I should be able to see what's really happening. And like in the case of the chessboard illusion, if you like cover most of your vision and like only look through a tiny hole in your vision, you can like see the color differences. Yeah, actually I've done something like that. Yeah. And if you stare at it long enough. So you can do it with like external tools like you you invent a machine to unsee the illusion that one was so strong for me i went and cut out those little squares and reversed them just yeah. to just to prove to myself that they were different they were the same shade yeah uh are we ready for another topic sure chris your topic is three guys with non-transitive dice and a non-reproducing animal yeah i know we've all we've all thought about that from time to time uh-huh. But you have a new take on it. <laughs> it's not going to be the same old conversation about three guys in a motel room with non-transitive dice and a non-reproducing animal. Maybe the first thing you should do is define non-transitive dice. Oh, that's fascinating. Recently, I was learning about this. Basically, you can have, like, say, four dice. They have numbers on them, but the numbers aren't traditional. Evenly distributed. You'll have maybe a bunch of twos and threes on one or whatever. But basically, you could play a game with somebody where you give one die to somebody, take one for yourself. And you just roll at the same time. Whoever rolls a higher number wins a dollar from the other player. And you could repeat this, say, ten times. And then you'll see one die is better than the other. Let's say that the dice are A, B, C, D. So A is better than B. And you see that A beats B about two-thirds of the time. And you could have another die, C, where B beats C two-thirds of the time, and C is better than D, wins about two-thirds of the time. So you'd assume that what it means by transitive is that if A is better than B and B is better than C, then A is better than C. But what happens at the bottom of this is that horrible die, D, that keeps losing, he actually beats A. It goes in a circle. Yeah. Which is so counterintuitive. Yep. It's crazy. And people don't believe it until you really see it for yourselves and you, you actually have the numbers. Um, you have to do the experiment yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, is this also a mystery to you or do you understand it? And if you understand it, can you explain it to us? I cannot understand it enough to explain it. That's fair. Um, I, I don't either. <laughs> so, we, we only have three guys. So, who's holding who, who's holding D? It's a long story why that got muddled together, but... Maybe the animal is rolling the fourth die. It's holding it in its mouth, just tossing it up in the air when it's ready to go. Just like kicking it with hooves. We do not know what kind of animal or, you know, tentacles. Oh, if it's a... What's a... I think a mule is non-reproducing. Yes, that was going to be my question to people is what animal... <laughs> well, there are plenty of them around, but yet they don't reproduce. <laughs> yeah. If I like, I, I don't have a, I don't have an understanding of this, but I do have a tingling, and the tingling relates to. Um, do you remember when the Google's Go program beat the Go Master? What was it called? Deep Mind or something like that? AlphaGo. AlphaGo. Thank you. Created by Deep Mind. Got it. Yeah, I remember some of the discourse around um, around the the AI's strategy was saying that it was optimizing not to maximize points, but just to win. And winning by one point is as good as winning by 100 points. And I think what might be happening here is that the, the dice are designed to like live in, live in that 100 point gap. Um, and that's not a complete idea. Like it doesn't quite 
mesh in my head, but like I kind of I'm almost thinking like, would it be possible to design like three sets of Go scores where A beats B, B beats C, and C beats A? I don't think so though. I think those are just numbers that go on a number line. But like that's that's where I would start if I wanted to try to understand this. I don't think you can do it with Go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Tell us about this animal. I just just think it was interesting that there's there there are animals around that don't reproduce like like uh, just as a question to ask somebody to list as many animals as they can that never reproduce but there are plenty of them around. I just thought of a mule. Um, I'm gonna list Chris and Sam. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Does that count if it's like you just choose not to? I don't like. I don't feel like it. So, but also the the original question wasn't really meant to be for an individual. I mean, there are plenty of individual animals that don't reproduce. Yeah. I, okay. So a mule is not a species, but I think you would say it's a distinct animal from what is it a what what is it a donkey and a horse? Yeah, a donkey and a horse. And it's funny because it's when the the donkey is male and the horse is female, mm-hmm. then you get the um. You get that mule. But if you got those sexes reversed, you create a, I think it's called a hinny. <laughs> so. A liger. A, li- a liger or a tigon. Are those, do you think the liger is non-reproductive? Probably not. The human Z. <laughs> I think the hinny can re- actually reproduce with a horse, but it's very, very rare. And the the mules, I just don't think... I don't think they ever reproduce, or or if they do, it's just like really super rare. Because everybody thinks it's ugly. So yeah, can't find anybody that's gonna do it. <laughs> gotta put some lipstick on there. So oh, that reminds me. <laughs> what is it? Bill Maher is making fun of some kid who oh my God. did a science experiment to see if cats actually do put their butt on all the furniture all over the place in the house. Uh-huh. So he put lipstick on the cat's butt and somehow it's good. That was a some sort of a science project for school. And what was the, what was the result? Is that the butt ran out of lipstick after two chairs. That it you know what? I this just fascinated me too much. I never even thought about the result. <laughs> you know? I'm just picturing some kid trying to lip. Sometimes, sometimes it's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah, I mean, lipsticking a cat's butt like that's too weird. But anyway, that's why Sam laughs. Uh, pretty much, uh, it's butt related. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I- I'm easy to make laugh. Just mention, you know, butts or farts <laughs> or poop, and I'll laugh. So I also didn't think about the results of the experiment, but I did think about. Why didn't the kid use glitter? Wouldn't that have been easier to apply? <laughs> no, because then maybe the cat would run away to a rave. Why didn't the kid use cat poop? It was already there. So, so how did the how does the non-reproducing animal relate to the? Is it just like a similar thing? <laughs> oh, okay. Last minute, I was looking over the topics, and since they're in the spreadsheet, rather than me making a new line or whatever, I just kind of added them on. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> wasn't related <laughs> all right figured it was good enough you got a freebie and the three guys in the motel room it just reminded me of uh an interesting math i like little math puzzles that you know kind of throw your brain for a loop even though they're like completely dead simple wow i just got an alert i'm sorry i need to say this i got an alert from google saying shake alert Earthquake nearby, expect shaking. Me too. Uh, that's why I interrupted Chris. Um, oh. I just got that. And it's saying magnitude 6. About 150 miles away from me. Magnitude 6 is pretty high. Yeah. So we can all expect to shake very shortly. Well, it's closer to you, Jim. Are you shaking? Uh, not yet. I'm watching your bookshelf in the uh, video. Okay, so for people who do not see, Chris is shaking his camera. <laughs> Did you find it? No, I still haven't felt shaking either. I feel like it would have happened by now. Yeah, because the warning is not too far in advance, I think. It's saying it was um, 
at 9.35 p.m. near Carson City. Like, so, like, right around Lake Tahoe. Yep. The, the fun of doing a show in California. Yeah, this hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Not during a recording of Topic Lords. I don't think we've had a magnitude 6 or even near there any any recent time. Yeah, 6 is huge. This might be a false alarm. Yeah, I wonder, are they testing their system? I, I just went to Google and... Rather, I just went to Twitter and searched for Earthquake... And there's a ton of tweets about how I just got quaked hard in Reno, which is probably about the earthquake. Yeah, that's that's the closest one that I saw um, was near Reno. I do find it fascinating that I grew up in a part of Europe uh, where I grew up in, with earthquakes. So, you know, it's it's uh, southern Europe near uh, Italy. So for me, earthquakes are like a normal thing. Like you just have them and... Then Chris and I moved to California from New Jersey, and he just is not familiar with the whole earthquake thing. And to me, that is just so fascinating, the whole cultural, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And, you know, for him, I guess hurricanes were cool, which is something I totally wasn't used to in New Jersey. Yeah. My favorite part about earthquakes that don't hurt anybody, and I guess the ones that do hurt people too, my favorite part is that you get to like gather in the common area of your apartment complex and say, oh, did you feel that? Yeah, me too. Totally. <laughs> you just have a little conversation with your neighbors that you otherwise never talk to. Well, now it's on Nextdoor or Twitter. Right, yeah. Still not feeling it. Still like maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm numb to it having lived in California for so long. Do you remember what you were talking about, Chris? Uh, three guys in a motel room. Right, yeah. Uh, just an interesting little math thing i heard yeah what are they what are they getting up to um this motel room was only 30 dollars, and the three men they each had 10 dollars in their pocket so everything worked out they put their uh, money together paid 30 dollars they were like we, we can't not rent this hotel this motel room no they had to <laughs> the price was right so they each pay their 10 dollars and got the 30 dollar motel room and then the manager's sitting there in his office, and he realizes, oh, my God, that's a $25 room. It's not $30. <laughs> so he gives $5 to his assistant and says, go give him $5 back. Well, the assistant's walking over to the room and figuring, these guys are too stupid. They can't divide $5 between the three of them. So I'll just give them $3 back, and I'll pocket the two. So now if they, they each get a dollar back, they each paid nine for the room. Well, the nine times three is 27. And then the assistant kept $2 in his pocket. 27 to two, it's 29. So where's the missing dollar? I'm sorry, I wasn't expecting a math problem at the end of this. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what the funniest answer I heard was. I told this to someone and he very quickly came back and just said tax. <laughs> that's, that's very good. That's very good. Yeah, I, I'm not, I think I'm too tired to work on this problem. <laughs> well, anyway, it's just a little myth, quirky thing. When you do figure it out, you realize it's just kind of, it's just silly. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll cover my ears and you tell the audience. <laughs> okay. Got your ears covered? Okay. Sam, you're going to have to give me a thumbs up when, I'm, when I can listen again. You should not add 27 to 2. You could subtract 2 from 27, you get 25. You're just doing an operation that doesn't make any sense to do. Uh are we ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, my topic is, in 2003, a judge ruled that the X-Men aren't human. X-Men being uh, the Marvel X-Men? The Marvel X-Men, yes. Uh, in our world, an American court of law, a judge ruled that the fictional X-Men uh, were not human because they were mutants. So this was in the United States Court of International Trade. The, the reason that this was in question is that Toy Biz was trying to import X-Men figures. And if X-Men figures were classified as dolls, the tariffs were higher than if they were just classified as toys. Uh, and the difference between a doll and a toy is that a doll is a representation of a human. So uh, in our world, a judge had to make the decision about whether in the X-Men fiction, the X-Men were humans. And Marvel themselves argued that uh, apparently that the X-Men didn't count as human because they were mutants. I can't believe we wasted a judge time on this. 
hey, some, someone's got to decide if they're going to pay, what is it, 12% tariffs or 6.8% tariffs. This has probably made the judge's day, is my guess. Like, judges have to preside over all sorts of boring shit and like, oh, oh, good, I get a, I get a fun one today. That's nice. Have you have you heard about uh, the Hustlers movie court ruling about the rating? That was a fun argument. No. So because they mentioned uh, female genitalia, um, their rating was more restrictive than a lot of movies that mention male genitalia. So the argument was, well, in the Anchorman, which has this rating, they mention blah this many times and blah this many times, mm -hmm. you know, and then they compare it to their own movie and they actually did get their rating changed to a less restrictive rating. But that, imagine that argument. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that made the judge's day too, because, you know, a lawyer has to stand there very seriously and um, she's a comedian, so she describes it very well. You should watch the video. And she just describes how she had to present this argument very calmly and rationally and just list all these words and, you know, just be very objective. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, anytime you can measure something and it comes out in your favor, you definitely want to do that. It's, it's a clip totally worth watching. I'll send it over. Uh, Chris, you just pasted some, uh, an image of some non-transitive dice. And I'm really enjoying that they all form the shape of crosses, which gives the whole conversation a, a religious connotation. Yeah, uh, I don't think that was so intentional. Like it, these aren't these aren't numinous dice. You know, maybe that's maybe that's a, this is a clue into the explanation of how it works. Yeah, uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. In this segment, we're going to be watching. A video titled, I Have a Bad Case of Diarrhea, Japanese Learning English <laughs> at Quarter Speed. And I will count down when we're, uh, count down from three and we hit play on zero and then we'll start talking. Uh, are you ready? Ready. Three, two, one, play. So we have a, a Japanese woman clearly over emoting, or maybe that's just, uh, the slow motion talking. It may be that, uh, that's that's perfectly naturalistic acting, and I'm just reading more into it because it's happening slowly. I'm going with over-emoting. Yeah, it could be. She can't get up from that bench. That's right. She has to. She's asking the passerby to call an ambulance. Uh, I love the plant to the side. Like this is clearly clearly happening on a soundstage, and there's just a bench and a plant, and that's supposed to be like, oh, this means it's outside. This is kind of this is sexy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, these faces are... I'm not sure this is pain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she bite, she's biting her lip now. Oh, nice wipe. The, the guy is looking at her, looking in awe. This is a still frame. Like, this guy just wiped to, like, a photo of this man staring at the woman begging for an ambulance. Okay, when you said wipe, you were talking about the thing going from one image to the next. Yeah, nice wipe. I was a little bit like... I was talking about the, the scene transition. I didn't see the wiping. <laughs> I was also trying to find the wipe. Like, she doesn't have a wipe. Uh, so, there's text that appears over this video. I don't know if it's like a watermark. Like, if this is the person who ripped it from VHS, it says, P. Low, the skillful abbot, which... I don't know. That seems like it could be part of the VHS ripping scene if the, if you pick handles. There it is again. Pilo, the skillful abbot. It appeared at the top of the screen this time. And she continues to have a, bear, a bad case of diarrhea. And, and by continues, you mean like there's this photo. Previously, it was a full screen still frame of this woman bending over in agony. Oh, oh it just cut to women yes. doing aerobics. I haven't watched this video with sound, but I have to assume these women are chanting, I have a bad case of diarrhea as English practice. They totally are. There are three women in like bikini-like yeah. uniforms in sneakers. It looks, it very much looks like an aerobics class, uh, different colors, yep. and they look very happy to have a bad case of diarrhea. Yeah, and they've got, they're doing the bad case of diarrhea dance, which, you know, arms crossed, arms on hips, Bend over, arms on shoulders. It's like the Macarena, all under the, the watchful eyes of Pilo, the skillful abbot. 
Okay, well, I googled that skillful abbot, and it yeah. brought me to this Wikipedia page of, I don't know how to pronounce this, Z-U-I-I-K-I-N apostrophe, English. <laughs> so Zukin English. Uh-huh. And it's some, let's see, in 87, some Fuji television call sign, uh, J-O-C-X TV, branded some sort of show, and it's got different episodes, one of which seems to be this uh, diarrhea thing. Uh, some other episodes are, uh, call an ambulance, please. Let's see. Uh, no, I feel feverish and sluggish. I'm allergic to penicillin. Leave me alone. Can't stand inside of you. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I wonder if... So do you think Pilo the Skillful Abbot is like a, a trademark of... Really awesome shows? Of uh, Possible. I'm going to have to watch. I'm going to have to look at other episodes and see what this is. Okay. Now they're zooming in on a very happy diarrhea girl. She seems to be singing happily about her diarrhea. What are their tops saying? Ramen? <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that's German, actually. The word German? No, like fraudel with like an umlaut. I, I like the idea that like since these are language learners, maybe they're each learning a different language and so they each have a, a different language written on their tops. Uh, and the video's over. We made it. We survived to the end. What do you mean survive? That was fun. <laughs> uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Chris, your topic is how concepts across languages differ, but when we learn words as children, we form this concept of a thing that the word represents. Oh, you know, when you're a kid and you learn that there are other languages, I, I feel like for a long time, you get you have this feeling that it's word for word. Like, for every word we have in English, there's a word in another language. And for every word they have, there's an English one. And, oh yeah, you know, it's a very simple uh, idea that we seem to be taught because typically you're just kind of taught the word for like an apple or a banana or whatever. But only when learning more do you realize this is so not the case. And uh, it's interesting that, you know, some concepts are discrete enough to warrant a word, mm -hmm. but not all cultures feel the same way about what's discrete, what's not. And I, I just, I don't know, I find that whole thing fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Like cultures, for example, to, to give it a really concrete example, um, cultures will divide up the color spectrum differently. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that. So, for example, in 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 Japan, the, the, the concept of blue and green is kind of a singular concept, the blue-green. I don't know if this is exactly the same thing, but in America, we have uh, a distinction between orange and brown, even though those are the same frequency that we don't have for any other color on the spectrum. Oh, I see. One's just brighter than the other. Yeah. But uh, in terms of like discretizing reality differently, I think it would be interesting to see like a culture that, that if you, that their concept of human is basically the same as ours, but it includes the hat and doesn't include like the left left foot. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like they just, it's just slightly shifted from what we, like the human is like the hat is part of the person, but the foot isn't. That's pretty bizarre. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of don't know if I should be concerned that that's the example you thought of. <laughs> <laughs> I am concerned. Oh, I'm okay over here. So we actually have, have an example. Uh, I, when I learned your uh, word or words, horseshoe, I just couldn't stop laughing. I just pictured a horse wearing shoes because, you know, you have two different words, horse, shoe, and shoe is well-defined. Um, yeah. The language uh, that I initially learned, there is one word and it kind of like implies that it's something under and it's something uh, metal. So, you know, you have like a lot of things in there in that word. You know, and then I come here and I'm asking, you know, Chris, hey, what's the word for this? And he's saying, well, horseshoe. And I just can't stop laughing. I mean. Yeah. Is this horseshoe part of the horse? <laughs> Some say maybe. Others aren't so sure. I, I think it's also interesting to consider that, like, if a person is wearing clothes, you would consider the clothes to be part of the unit of the person. Like, I think most people would say that's a person pointing at the whole thing. Oh, True. Maybe even what they're holding. Yeah, we really should say there's a person inside those there, you know? <laughs> yeah. Holding that thing. Yeah. We should probably do the same with a clam. 
I think there's a claim inside that shell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a there's a person inside that skull. That's also interesting interesting about different cultures is where is the person inside the body? Um I think for a long time we considered the uh a lot of our thoughts came from our heart. Yeah. I believe that in the Bible uh the, the seat of the person is actually in the gut or like the belly area. Oh, interesting. I'm not entirely sure, but I think that is the case. So it's not even the heart. The heart is where you think, but your person is like the gut area. Huh. That's interesting. I wonder I wonder why that would be. Maybe it's just the center of mass. Or where you really feel things, like if you're anxious or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am I remembering that correctly, Chris? I'm not sure. I don't remember that. This is good. We like mystery on this show. I know people do sometimes accuse others of thinking with other parts of their body. Like like thinking with your dick or your stomach? <laughs> yep. The, like the organ that's the origin of wanting something? Yes. That makes sense. I think that's, that's intuitive to think about it that way. And like, I do think that's probably a, um, a fairer interpretation of like the consciousness as, as a gestalt is, is the idea of every part of your body and like all your, all your chemistry and all of the signals coming into your brain. They're all, they're all a crucial part of the whole process. Like if you're hungry and you're getting a signal from your stomach, like that's, uh, that's going to shape your your perception of the world and it's going to shape your actions. And also you have you have neurons in your gut. You know, that's why you feel things there. Huh, I didn't know that. Well, you feel things there. That's why you feel emotions there is what I mean. It's like uh, the dinosaurs having an extra brain at the base of the tail. No, they got that? Spoilers. Spoilers for the afterlife where you're going to have to hang out with a bunch of dinosaurs and do brain surgery on their butts. Because we're going to exist in all of time at once. And also the entirety of a dinosaur's spinal column at once. What if they want to do surgery on my butt thinking that's where my brain is? Yeah, you, you, you meet a dinosaur doctor, you, gotta, you have to put a post-it note on your butt saying, brain not in here. <laughs> like arrow pointing up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, eyes up here. Uh, are, we ready, uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Sam, maybe you want to answer that question. I like your sure. <laughs> when you ask for a new topic, I say sure. But Sam has always got a thinking look on her face. I assumed that Sam was saying yes or, or acknowledging my question, but still being muted. That was my assumption. No, we're next to, we're next to each other, so we have to time our mute-unmute. And since he's been saying sure so well... I just stay muted and stay stay silent because he's he's got it. So just say yes, and I'll paste it in every time. I'll give you a couple. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> say it in Sam's voice. Yes. Okay. All right. Done. Sam, your topic is Aspie couple in the world running our approaches with normies for evaluation with each other. Oh, yeah. So... Um, some years ago, I hurt my head very badly, uh, which took away my ability to think. This is how I learned that I'm on the spectrum. I guess I had some idea before, but this is when it got really confirmed. Because it turns out, for me, social interaction is completely logical. It is a large tree of if-then statements in my mind. And if I cannot follow the tree, I absolutely cannot interact with anyone other than Chris who happens to be like me, which is so wonderful. <laughs> but what is amusing is when we need to talk to normal people, you know, as in people who are not, who, who do not have every conversation like, oh, okay, so define this and then a logical progression to a conclusion, you know, with like questions and clarifications and, you know, like kind of what you would do in a math or a logic class. If you interact with, you know, normal humans, you cannot talk like this. So we actually have to check with each other. So if I say this, is the normal person going to understand I mean this? And since we're both kind of clueless, it's kind of like I'm trying to tap into his math 
seeing, oh, did you encounter this if-then scenario? How did it work out? And he does the same for me. And sometimes we're both just absolutely wrong and we get to learn that. But more often, we actually don't get to learn we're wrong because people don't necessarily express things in a way that we understand. Yeah. So unless somebody just tells us like, oh, like, you know, did you mean to sound mean? Like, I don't even know I, I sounded mean. Like, I thought I was just being friendly. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's I, I think it's an interesting dynamic. And, and it is something that I got to very much um, experience, you know, with my head injury and not being able to think. Yeah. What you need is a, you need a bumper sticker on your forehead saying, how's my talking call 1-800-EAT-SHIT. But I actually want to improve. See, that's the thing. Like, we actually want to... <laughs> okay, then you have a real you have your actual phone number then. Help me. Like one eight hundred help me. <laughs> okay, that's only five number six digits. That's not gonna do it. I wonder if you could think of an example that would make what you explained a little more clear. Can you think of an example? I mean what I'm thinking is Netflix and chill, which you and I both struggled with to understand that Netflix and chill means something beyond Netflix and chill. And apparently this is accepted and it's incredibly irritating that you would just misuse words like that and mislead people. Um, but it doesn't feel like a good example. Uh, wait till you find out about Cockney rhyming slang. Do I even want to ask? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you don't know about Cockney rhyming slang. Oh, this is going to be exciting. Mm, not me. This is a, a like a subculture in the UK where... They just decided that instead of saying stairs, we'll say apples and pears. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> and then and then they shortened it so the rhyming part gets cut off, so it's just apples. And so uh they're just gonna say apples to refer to stairs. This is traumatizing. I don't deal with change well. I feel very refrigerator about this. Okay, what <laughs> Tell me the rhyme. I don't. <laughs> it's not really a puzzle if I don't hear the whole thing. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I was hoping you could find a path. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, refrigerator magnet. Magnet rhymes with. Yeah, I don't. I don't have anything either. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I figured speak first, reconstruct later, but maybe that was a bad plan. Refrigerator door. Door rhymes with poor. You feel poor about it. Right. That makes sense now. I knew there was logic. Yeah. That's exactly what he meant. <laughs> so when I'm um, playtesting a video game, like when I'm, when I'm like running a playtest and I sit people in front of the game, uh, I, I lay out these, these guidelines in advance, like what I want from you when you're playing this game, I want you to constantly be talking about like what's in your head, what are you thinking, what are you like... What, how are you interpreting the events on the screen? Uh, what are you wondering about? Uh, and what are you, um, like, if there's a puzzle, like, talk me through the process of solving it. Uh, because, like, I'm trying to guide the player to a specific experience. And a video game is like a very indirect form of communication, like, and it's very experimental. And so, like, most of the time, like, you need to iterate a lot in order to get the experience you want across. And the best way that I've found to to understand whether people are getting the right experience or on, or at least on their way to it is is faucet mouth, is like they're this running like stream of consciousness, like what's in your mind right now? This is what you need from neurotypical people when you're having a conversation with them. We love those. We actually know some who are willing to give us that kind of Feedback, not not quite faucet mouth, mm -hmm. but a lot more than what we get from other people. Right. Well, then it's necessary. Like they they can't talk all the time because you're you have to talk sometimes, or it won't be a conversation. But yeah, that's incredible. You hold on to those people. We totally do. Those are your lifelines. To you're one of them. Oh, oh, really? Okay. Although you know, I'm I'm not sure I would define you as normal, but at least you're different than our kind of different. So you know. Yeah, I've I've wondered about my own, you know, what I've got 
rattling around in my skull. I'm not sure if I'm on the spectrum or not. Certainly never been diagnosed. Yeah, I think diagnosis is hard if it's not... Severe. How do I phrase this? If you can figure out the patterns of behavior that will get you through life, you're much less likely to get diagnosed. And if you're good at figuring out patterns, you're more likely to figure out those patterns. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you have that skill, which you do, obviously, well, not obviously, but it's obvious to me because I've talked to you before, <laughs> um, you know, you can hide it very well, even if you have it. Right. Um, so it's very hard to pick up. So I don't, I don't really put as much... Um, value in diagnosis like basically like hurt your head like you'll find out very quickly whether it's a it's a heavily cognitive process or if it's something that just like happens you know you know i've never had a concussion i'm gonna try to keep it that way yeah i highly recommend that so one thing i find when speaking with people like i guess that would be considered more normal if you have some sort of an argument and emotions get involved and you know, you find something interesting in the conversation that maybe on a more academic way or just maybe looking, talking about it in a more meta way, let's put the emotions aside and like notice this interesting thing. Like people don't have that much of an ability to do it. The, those emotions are too strong. They're they're dominating the conversation. And I don't know. I feel like that's, that's one difference between me and other people I've I've found is like, I like to just get away from the emotional aspect and, and maybe like analyze it in a different way. And yeah, and other people have a harder time with that. And we, we get surprised every time people are not up for doing that. And it's like, you would think we would learn. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this show is for that kind of person. Like every guest is like that. That's why I thought it might be interesting topic, you know, cause I have like this different lens through a brain injury, you know, like, it was like two years of recovery that I that this was impaired. Yeah, that was terrifying. Like watching you go through that. Like it was terrifying for me. Yeah, and we didn't interact, obviously. <laughs> right. Because I couldn't interact. But yeah, that was that was the worst thing. I hope I never go through that again. So you know, helmets. <laughs> I got helmets now. That's smart. Yeah, you should just be wearing it all the time, just in case. Doctor's orders. It wasn't even smart. It was just like, you had more than 10 concussions in your life. You got to wear a helmet. Like, you just cannot have another one. You know, you might never recover. I don't know how many people know it or not, but if you have a concussion, you're more susceptible to concussions, to, to concussions in the future. Right. And it compounds, apparently. Yes. Yes. So they were not even sure I was going to recover from this one because um, it took a very small tap to the head to cause a very major concussion. And then they just didn't know I was going to bounce back given my history of how many I've had. And I didn't realize that it's not normal to have more than 10 concussions. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. It's like... Well, doesn't everybody like, you know, like you crack your skull, you crack your jaw, like, you know, when you're a kid, you're playing or like when you're doing gymnastics and you land wrong, like, it doesn't everybody go through this? Like, apparently, no, people do not. (laughs) And and me having more than 10 concussions was a weird thing. And they had to like approach it very carefully and not give me false hope that I will be better because there was absolutely no certainty that I could be better. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, luckily, it just took a long time and a lot of physical therapy, but um, there. And and weird, so in, you think it would just be physical therapy, but no, it actually took a lot of physical therapy and extra a lot of rest. And I'm not good at just sitting around with nothing to do. Yeah. So I actually had to build a schedule where I had to schedule doing nothing as my item to do <laughs> so that I could work with my... What's that? I don't even know if I know what that's like. Like, what is it like to not think about things? So the thing is, you cannot. So I found that if I put on a show, I would use Frasier, which I have seen many, many times. Okay. And I don't look at it, but it's playing in the background. It's taking enough of my attention that I am not actively thinking about something. 
but it's not taking yeah. so much of my attention that I'm thinking about the show. So I had to like actually find these like little tricks and workarounds yeah. to like get my brain to just not think because you can't stop. And when you're heavily concussed, it's it's not a good time to learn meditation, which in theory would be ideal, but you are you just can't. So it looks like distracting yourself, which I do do that. I do like will I will like watch something I've watched before to just kind of zone out. Yes, that one. Got it. And then it just it lets your brain rest and not actively think, you know, because like. Like I would look at a page and I would look at numbers and I would like my brain just starts looking for patterns and then my brain would crash because it would exhaust itself. But I can't stop that. Like that just that just how my brain works. That's what brains do. Right. So I would just have to remove myself from all those situations and then come up with like a way to be distracted just the right amount. That sounds very mentally taxing. One interesting effect of the uh, of that concussion, though, uh, you know. I guess she was also like this beforehand, but but it got worse. Is she doesn't like anything new? If we go for a walk, I say, "Oh, we walked this way last time. Let's just do a different road." And though that's just very upsetting, or I want to try a new place to go out to eat, kind of thing. And it's and it's so much easier for her to do things she's familiar with. New experiences, I guess, was just too disturbing. Mm. Yeah, back to being on a spectrum. I hear you. Uh, that's all the time we have uh, on topic for Topic Lords tonight. Uh, Sam, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter, SamJ314, I think. All right, send your send your no concussion tips. I have more. I I have more post concussion tips than no concussion tips. <laughs> uh, and Chris, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, I don't know. Let's see, Sam, am I on the internet somewhere? Facebook. That doesn't count. You don't want people friend you. You don't want you don't want like listeners to this show friending you on Facebook. If anyone has a comment or they want to say something or just tell me that they fell in love with me, uh-huh. email chrism three one four one at gmail dot com. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.